We said that what? We explained why we are in this world, why God created us. So the reason for this ultimately is because we are supposed to get the greatest pleasure. That's what God created us. What is that greatest pleasure? The greatest pleasure is going to be to get this unbelievable spiritual pleasure from being close to God. Beautiful. And that's the happy ending. And everybody goes home and they say, wow, that's really great. You know, I'm just to sit back and catch the rain. Well, God's going to shower me with happiness and wonderful stuff. The question is, of course, and I've had this question from people, so then why do I need to do anything? Well, actually, one person said to me, I don't mind being an observant Jew as long as I don't have to keep the mitzvah. So I thought that was a profound statement. It really... It took a little while to really realize the significance of such a statement. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean, what does it mean to be an observant Jew and I'm not keeping anything? Uh, likewise, the person can say, what do I have to do anything for? So I think we have to understand that although we understand that the purpose of us being in this world is to get close to God, the mitzvahs have an essential role. And we have to take a little time to examine why we do mitzvahs, what the purpose of mitzvahs are, if we're going to understand this. So, Let's understand the term mitzvahs. What does mitzvahs mean? Commandment. Right? Some people think it means good deeds. It doesn't mean good deeds. You understand? Right? Nice things to do. Mitzvahs are commandments. What sounds is a commandment. Now, I saw an article by a reform rabbi. I saw two articles by two different reform rabbis. And somebody who attended a reform uh, Hebrew school here in Israel told me that they heard it from their teachers as well. Now, we don't look at it as the Ten Commandments. We look at them as the Ten Suggestions. <laughs> Maybe don't kill. <laughs> Try not to steal. See if you can stay away from my wife. Is it? You know what I mean? <laughs> suggestions. Ideas for living. You know that? Now, we don't say suggestions. We say commandments. Why do we say commandments? Because you have to do them. And yet... Let's take this a step further. The Gemara Kedushin asks the following question. Who gets more reward for doing a mitzvah? A Jew or a non-Jew? Jew. A Jew. Jew. Yeah? Why? Maybe he's commanded. He has to. Right? Now, one second. What happened to extra credit? Is it better if I do something I don't have to do it? I'm a great guy. Hey! I didn't have to clean up the kitchen. It wasn't my turn and I did. Why? The uh, that certain people can do. Uh, if you do those, you're negating the fact that you have to do an obligatory mitzvah. So rather than... I do my obligations. I do my obligations. And then I do something extra. As long as you do those, they're ready to do an obligation. No, so I'm saying, take a, take a non-Jew. Non-Jew says, hey, I only got seven to do. So I got spare time. So, uh, <laughs> I also keep kosher. I don't have to. Because you're not obliged to keep kosher. I know, so extra credit. That's right. Once you command me, I don't wanna. Have you ever noticed that? You wake up in the morning and your room is an absolute mess, and you say to yourself, "You know, I'm gonna clean this up because I can't live like this." Two minutes later, your mother walks into the room and says, "This room is a pigsty. Clean it up." <laughs> I don't want to anymore because you told me to. That's it. Before you told me to, I was happy to. But once you told me I have to, oh, I don't want to anymore. I don't want to. That's how we are. That's the nature. Anyone who has ever fasted on a fast day knows perfectly well what I'm talking about. Right? 
There are people who never eat breakfast. They often miss lunch. And all of a sudden, it's a fast day. Nine o'clock in the morning, they're passing out. I can't take it. Whoa, you never eat breakfast, you know? But I always could. <clears throat> Once you tell me I can't, that's it. It drives me crazy. Jews have commandments. We have to. Therefore, we get more reward for it because we have to. Okay, fine. Now, <clears throat> you've been in North America long enough now that you have uh, begun to hone your Talmudic skills. So, thumbs up already. How come... <laughs> now, there's a follow through. If when I am commanded to do something, I don't want to do it, why did God command me? Why didn't he give suggestions? Because then you have to do it. Yeah, okay, but now I'm less likely to do it. I'm more likely to do it when it's a suggestion. I'm more likely to do it than when it's a commandment. So why did God make it a commandment? He shouldn't have made it suggestions. Why are they commandments? It's good for us. So give a suggestion. I think you should not kill. <laughs> for you. For your own sake. Is it? What do you want? Body parts in your freezer? Open any room for rip stains? Not worth it. Yeah? What's the logic? What's the logic? Yeah? If, um, I think if there are suggestions, we wouldn't go about life in the right way. The fact that we have to do it, we, we're forced to go about things the right way. Uh, you say forced, but you know what? A quick perusal of the Jewish people around the world will find that most of them don't. True. So I guess it ain't working. Yeah? Ideally, the positive commandment, commandment should be suggestions, and the negative commandment should be the the real commandments, because then you're like, the negative commandment comes up, and you start to think, you're like, oh, this isn't a suggestion, this is actually a command, I better be careful not to do this. Well, Shabbos is a command, is a positive law. Thou shalt honor the Shabbos and keep it holy. That's also a commandment. Yeah. It'll, it'll make us uh, eat matzah and Pesach. That's a, that's a commandment. It's a commandment. Yeah. Because humans are not perfect, and they're very, um, like, to forget or to, you know, question stuff, or... I agree with you, but I don't see that making a commandment helps. I see we got we don't have any more observance than we did before. I heard one great answer. This is a great answer that I like. People say, Well, this way it's harder. I was like, Oh, Judaism's not hard enough. You know what I mean? I'm really looking for a way I always do it with one hand tied behind our back, you know what I mean? Yeah. You have to have a set of rules or guidelines, and there's no point to anything. Without rule, without law, without then some people be, you know, it's like you have to have a set of guidance that people have to do. Because if you don't have to do it, then it's not anything. It's not anything I got you. Not so when you play Monopoly, there's a set of rules. And nobody follows them. <laughs> nobody follows the rules of Monopoly. And you're not playing Monopoly, are you? No, but you know what? We're having a good time anyway. <laughs> people get $400 when they land on Go. There's no reason for that. They put the money from the fines in the free parking. There's no basis specifically in the rules. People don't even understand the rules. It says there are 12 hotels and 32 houses. That's it. So what do you do if you run out of hotels? Everybody, so they put two of them on top of this. They move one over here. They put that there. No way. You're out of hotels. You're out of hotels. You can't put up hotels. Knockable. There's a, there's a, there's a deeper rule. That is, a hotel in the rules is defined by four houses. And then you can put up a hotel. Which means... You can't put up a hotel unless you can first put up four houses. So if the houses are taken, even though there are hotels, you can't put them up. Does anyone know that, though? Do you know anyone who pays the 10% fine when they take something out of mortgage? 
Please. <laughs> and it can go on like this. I mean, just, you know. But when you play tournament Monopoly, they take it out, and they say, mistake? No? Sorry? Usher? That's it? Put it back in the box. And they play it real seriously. Play it by the rules. We don't play it by the rules. Everyone has a good time. Can you imagine playing Monopoly by the rules? Don't even mind. Nobody does it that way. So the same thing with Judaism. You know, it's a nice thing. We'll have to say it. Have a little mask. You're going to go so crazy. He's so excited. Yes, sir. I don't think the problem is, is people aren't following the commandments. I think the problem is you first have to accept there's a God. First they accept that God gave the Torah, and the oral Torah is also part of the law that we are walking to. If you accept all that, then it's a little then it's a more complicated thing to just turn your back on it. But a lot of people in the think that in America especially, they don't believe that God wrote the Torah. It's the book written by the best book written by man is Rabbi uh Rabbi God who tells it over. And that it's uh and if it's not if it's not binding, that's a different issue. If someone admits there's a guy, admits he gave the Torah, and then doesn't keep it, that's a certain kind of person. But there's not as many of those as there used to be. I want to tell you something. I don't need all that. I wish I needed all that. I don't need all that. Because I know guys who believe in God, who believe he gave the Torah, believe in the oral law, and they don't get out of bed in the morning, <coughs> even though God said so. A and sometimes they speak Russian and <laughs> And you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> in any event so I don't see that making a commandment those are suggestions helped us yeah I, I definitely it's a legal system but it's not but I'm saying if God's goal was to get us to keep it this didn't help that's what I'm saying it's not helping us you said it's to help us yeah I'm saying his goal was to give us a set of rules you don't to what we have to do why I just told you, you created the world for us to have the greatest time. That was last class. We're here to have a great time, to get the greatest pleasures, to enjoy ourselves, yee-hee, you know what I'm Now he's just a legal coach, and I'm going to beat you, and force you, keep my commandments. Ah. <laughs> he didn't tell us what to do, who was going to. Hey, hey, we're here to have a good time. You just told me that last time. I'm here to catch the spiritual rays. I'm here to get the light of God's divine presence. Now I'm up to, Lord, you better keep it or else. Whoa, what happened here? Oh, he thinks that sure it's free will. That's why nobody's keeping it. See, my mind is Yeah. Why? Why? Because he's well, he knows. He's all knowing. Oh, there you go. Pull back on the old man. God must know Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When I I'm with you, but I'm saying if we if we're building on what we said in the last lecture, that God created the world with We were created to get the maximum spiritual pleasure, then why do we have all these commandments? And they're not even suggestions, they're commandments. So I wanna I wanna answer this question, I want to put it into a perspective that we can understand. Okay? Ultimately the greatest pleasure is going to be to be able to get this infinite pleasure from God. But there's a certain limitation within that. Which means, if you want to get this maximum pleasure from God, and you want to develop this relationship with God, relationships, I'm not talking now about religion, relationships come with I have to. Come with I have to. Right? Give me a simple example. You meet a lovely young lady, and you have a wonderful time, wonderful evening, and you say, when will I see you again? And she says, I don't know, we'll see. Whenever. Who knows? <coughs> When our ships will pass. 
So you think to yourself, okay, let's cross off this one. <laughs> this is a waste of time. We're good at that. I'm looking for something that I know I can call up and there's going to be uh, some sense of obligation. What do I want an obligation for? Well, because otherwise, then it doesn't really mean there's too much there, is there? Every relationship, by definition, come with rules that determine that relationship. So, I grew up in New York. I'm sure it's different in different parts around the world. I grew up in New York. You know, let's say you get onto a city bus. There's a relationship. Relationship. I'm going to sit down next to somebody and see. It's a relationship. Don't kill me. That's it. There's only one rule, really. You know, you want to steal my money. You know what I mean? You want to abuse me. You know what I mean? You want to mumble to yourself. You know what I mean? All that's acceptable in New York, right? Now, there may be other places you go to where there's more. You know, they say, don't take up half the seat. You know what I mean? Don't, uh, don't uh, you know, abuse me. Don't go, oh, who knows what it might be? There might be more things, you know? As you move up, though, with the level of the relationship, I have a neighbor, right? A neighbor. So what do I have to do? You know, we may not be friends. But there are rules to that obligation, the obligation, that relationship. As neighbors, don't park in front of my driveway, keep the kids out of my garden. That's about it. I pass you by. Hey, Bob. Hey, Harry. How you doing? That's it. Not much more is expected, but if I don't do that, then it's a bad relationship. I have a bad neighbor. He parks in front of my house. Why can't he park in front of his house? You understand? He lets his kid run on my lawn. What's his kid doing on my lawn? Is that? It comes with obligations. It comes with I have to. But let's jump up and down. <laughs> You're driving late at night, you break down in the middle of nowhere, it's a cold, rainy night. And you think to yourself, oh my goodness, I don't have a cell phone, what am I going to do? You walk uh, half a mile in the rain, it's pouring, lightning, 3 o'clock in the morning. You finally call up your best friend in the whole world. And you say to him, hey, how you doing? What? What are you calling? Who's this? No, no, it's me, it's Bob, how are you doing? He's, oh my gosh, what are you doing calling? I broke down in the middle of nowhere, it's, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, it's freezing cold, it's raining, could you come pick me up? I think to himself, my gosh, 3 o'clock in the morning, it's freezing cold, you know, uh, it's raining. i got to be crazy to get out of bed. No, forget it. Hang up the phone, right? Okay, that's my best friend. Now, when I see it tomorrow, what am I going to say? Right, let's put that aside. After you finish saying that, um, once, once the conversation turns civil, <laughs> then what are you going to say? You're not my friend. Well, you mean I'm not your friend. How are you going to say I'm not your friend? Because no, you weren't there for me. Oh, what's this guilt business here? What are you, my grandmother? You know what I mean? It was late. I was cold. You know, I didn't want to get out of bed. You know? Yeah, she left me out there in the rain. Hey, I felt bad, but what was I supposed to do? You know? I was half asleep, you know? That's okay. But now I know who my real friends are. You're not my friend because I can't count on you. Because friends are there for each other. We understand that. If the person's not going to be there for me, they're not my friend. Yeah, obligations. The relationship comes with obligations. No matter if I don't owe you anything, you don't owe me anything, then there's nothing there. As the relationship grows, and you're moving to a higher level relationship, there are more I have tos. So you have a good friend, you know, you went to college, you guys split up. You finally see each other a few years later. You're thrilled to see each other. How you doing, Bob? How are you doing, Harry? I haven't seen you in so long. How's everything going? Great to see you. You feel great, right? Now imagine you get married, and your wife leaves, comes back three years later. Your reaction will be dramatically different. It might involve, you know, a weapon, you know? <laughs> she's going to be like, no, you didn't see your college friend for three years, and you were thrilled to see him. What are you so upset at me for? She says, how do you compare it? You're my wife. I count on you. There are obligations. 
And the more obligations there are, the deeper is the relationship. And if I can't count on you, then there's nothing here. If I can't depend on you being there, then what's the relationship? What kind of a marriage is it? I don't know if my wife's going to be there in the morning or not. <clears throat> As such, the deeper the relationship, the more obligations there are. I learned this uh, the hard way when I got engaged. And, um, you know, uh, I had, about a week later, I had a whole bunch of crazy meetings. It was late at night. You know, I was in youth work, you know. And youth day first starts at 9 o'clock at night, you know. I was going here, I was going there, I was running back and forth, all kinds of crazy stuff I had to take care of that night. I get back home about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, throw myself in the bed, the phone rings. At 3 o'clock in the morning, it's usually either someone who's going to kill themselves or some druggie, you know, who's calling me, you know, from someplace. I'm like, I'm not up to this, you know. And I pick up the phone, and it's Sammy. At the time, my fiancé, now my wife. You know. I said, Sammy, what are you doing up so late? She says, where were you? Where was I? My mother doesn't ask, where was I, you know? <laughs> I had stuff to do. I didn't take care of, you know? She said, don't you understand you're engaged now? Don't you understand that comes with obligations? No, I said, it never occurred to me. And then, uh, I'm a guy. You know, <laughs> you know, women go through this agonizing thing. Should we get engaged? Shouldn't we get engaged? What's this going to mean? I'm going to change my name. I'm going to get pregnant. I'm going to move into this guy's house. What's gonna be and guys are like, you know, hey, you cook? <laughs> cook. Come on, tell me you've been laundry. Yes! <laughs> you know, you know, that's about enough for us. That's, that's, the, uh, that's how we define a relationship. You know, I, you know but... <laughs> But you suddenly take a look at the situation. You say, you know, there's a sense of obligation. I have to call. I have to call. You say, where am I going? Where are you going to be? When am I going to see you? How am I going to get a hold of you? Where are you going to go to? You say, so like every good Jewish man now, I have a cell phone. My wife can get a hold of me 24-7. Where are you? Where are you going? Yeah. And you always say you're talking, they're walking, they're talking to their wife. Yes, oh, I just got to the street. Oh, yeah, I'm about to try. Oh, one second, it's a red light. Okay. I can stop. Oh, it's green light. Okay. Now I'm walking through the street. Yeah, I'm about to go down to lunch. Yeah, I'm eating soup. Yeah, can you hear? Yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Keep checking in. Check in. Check in. Constantly checking in. You know, that's part of, we understand. It comes with obligations. Therefore, if you one day happen to bring home flowers, isn't that nice? But if you forget her birthday, you're in trouble. Mm. Why should I be in trouble? Because there's obligations. I expect my husband to remember my birthday. That's a reasonable expectation. Right? Okay. So that's the idea. The idea is that there are expectations in life, in a relationship. If it's, if it's a low-level relationship, there's less expectations. There are less rules. There are less I have tos. But every good relationship comes with I have tos. Says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, says God to us, Ultimately, I want to have a relationship with you. But if there are no I have to's, then there's no relationship. And a, a relationship where there's no obligations, there's not much to it. Right? Uh, when you put together your little list and you start looking for the girl you want to marry, everybody has their little list, you know. So, uh, you know, your list will, uh, I'm looking for somebody that I can, um, uh, someone who's going to be dependable, someone who will be loyal, somebody who will be there for me. Somebody who will have a good sense of humor. Somebody will be able to help out financially. Somebody will be beautiful. Somebody will this. Somebody will that. You know, when when you when you finish the list and you take out all of the you know the the nice expressions, it boils down to I want someone who's going to support me. I want someone who's going to give to me. I want someone who's going to entertain me. Me 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 me. You know that? And we don't really look at what we're going to give to that relationship. Because, like, <laughs> I'm looking to get. 
The only thing, they did a strange thing. They did a study of people who cheat on their wives. And they found an interesting thing. The wife's reaction was, I, I was surprised she's not as attractive as I am. I don't know why he did this. And his reaction, more often than not, was, I felt like she needed me. People want to feel needed. People in a, in a relationship want to know that I'm needed and that I'm contributing. And if you don't need me, so then after a while, a person says, well, what am I doing here? That's the reason that parents invariably <coughs> love their children more than their children love parents. Which, when you think about it, doesn't make any sense because parents change their diapers. Ugh! And they took care of us when we were sick and they sat up at night and we threw up in their bed. And look how much money they spent on us. And they made us report covers. You know, because no one ever cares about the actual report. They only care what the cover looks like, you know. And they sit there up all at night typing up our stuff and taking care of us and making us lunches and caring for us and doing all these things for us. At the end, we should be getting out of me. And when we become adults, what do we say? Leave us alone! You stifled us our whole life! You never let us be independent! It's all your fault! All my problems are your fault! Give me the car keys. Why? Because I want to be independent! <laughs> Give me a credit card! Of course, money to be independent. <laughs> now, why are we doing this? Because we know in our heart of hearts that we always have that great line that every kid says at some point, I didn't ask to be born! So I have no problem. I carry a 44 Magnum. First kid says, eh, no problem. I'll fix the problem right now. <laughs> so, of course, your answer would be, no, I think you misunderstood me. <laughs> I didn't mean I want to die, you know. I meant... I'm at a disadvantage in this relationship because I didn't choose it. You did. You know what I'm saying? You chose to have me. Nobody, nobody, nobody asked me if I wanted you as parents. So I'm at a disadvantage. Not that you're not nice parents. You're very nice. But I, I don't, I don't at a disadvantage in this relationship. You see? On the other hand, when, uh, when I get married, I've made this choice. It was my choice, this relationship. And therefore, the more that I'm choosing this and choosing to get involved, and I understand that I have obligations to it, the greater it's going to be. Therefore, God, in order to have a meaningful relationship, says, listen, I want to have this relationship, but that doesn't mean anything. If you don't choose it, then you're going to feel like this was wished on you. You have to choose it. And if you choose it, you have to know, like all good relationships, it comes with obligations. And if you don't fulfill those obligations, then we don't have much of a relationship. Right? Therefore, ultimately, there are going to be commandments, not suggestions. Remembering your wife's birthday is not a suggestion. That's a commandment. If you know if you're in serious trouble, right, you've got to remember that. And just like everything else, yeah, I've got to come home at night, and I've got to spend time, and I've got to talk to my wife, even when I don't feel like it. What do I mean I don't feel like it? I mean, like, if you leave the house early in the morning, and you come back late at night, and you have this real long day like I have sometimes, and there's nothing you want to do more than just crawl into your bed, pull yourself into a fetal position, and whimper yourself to sleep. <laughs> you're so tired, and your wife wants to talk to you about the day she's had with your various dysfunctional children. You know what I mean? So then, if you care about your wife, you will push yourself and say, okay, I'm going to listen and be involved, because I know my wife wants to have a relationship with me. Go figure. You know what I mean? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? You know, this is my curse. So, yeah, you're going to invest into that relationship because you care. You make time for each other. You have to. Those are obligations. Right? Okay. So God says, I'm not interested in having a casual relation with you. Like one guy once says, i got a great relationship with God. I don't talk to him. He doesn't talk to me. 
I said, if that's your idea of a great relationship, I hate to meet your wife. <laughs> I've got a great marriage. I don't talk to her. She doesn't talk to me. We don't call that a great relationship. A great relationship is where there is mutual obligation. And so we say we have obligations to God. We have, I have to. That's the idea of mitzvahs. Right? Okay. Now let's understand what that means. So now I have mitzvahs. So what are these mitzvahs supposed to do for me? There are 365 negative commandments and 248 positive commandments. 365 should sound familiar. What is the number 365? Days of the year. Excellent. What's 248? Considered major parts of the body. 248 is a big number in Judaism. How many words are there in Kriyashma in all three paragraphs? 245. Right, good for you. 245. That's why we repeat the last three. Hashem will take him a mess to make it 248. Right? Abraham, Abraham in Hebrew, the numerical value of his name, 248. 248 is a big number for us. But it comes out when we talk about mitzvahs that it's our entire body, 365 days a year. It is a total system. That is our approach. And as such, right, we want to try to make this a total system. Now, Obviously, there are positive commandments, negative commandments, they have different purposes. The negative commandments tell me, don't act like an animal. The positive commandments tell me to give vent to my spiritual expression, right? Okay, positive, negative. But the bigger aspect to it to understand is that each one of these mitzvahs are there to get me into touch with reality. And I have to stress this, because ultimately, the purpose of Judaism and the mitzvahs, as I mentioned, they're not just silly obligations. There are obligations, each one of which has a specific purpose. The underlying purpose is to build a relationship with God. But each one has its own purpose. So that, for example, um, when we keep Shabbos, right? Why are we keeping Shabbos? So we, uh, we understand there's a, Torah tells us there's a wave of holiness that fills the world every seventh day. Right? Now, you ask the average person on Shabbos, gee, do you feel this wave of holiness? It's not like, you know, it's candle lighting and suddenly there's this, I don't feel it. That doesn't mean it's not there, but it means I don't feel it. So, I'll give you an example, we can understand it. There's beautiful music playing in the room right now. How many people hear the music? No? That's good. Because if you do, then we have to speak to you afterwards. It's a special program. People who hear the music... Anyway, right, but there's music playing in the room right now. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Radio waves. (coughs) Radio waves. Going through this room right now, broadcasting the most beautiful music, and also rap. And um, (laughs) it's not really music as much as a verbal act of violence. Going through the room right now. And and, uh, I can't hear it, but I know it's there. Why can't I hear it? I don't have a receiver. Fine, so I get the receiver. I turn it on. Oh, I hear a static. Well, I'm not tuned into the right station. You see, there's a lot of stuff being broadcast out there, and I have to filter out all the noise and just get onto the music. And then I'll hear the music, right? Okay. So on the seventh day, there's this wave of holiness that fills the world, but I don't hear it. Why? Because there's too much background noise. <coughs> we live in a world of tremendous background noise, right? It's hard to walk into a house where the TV's not going. Right? And the TV is going. And what are people usually watching? Channels turning. Pachoom, 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 pachoom. 500 channels. They go through all 500. Then what do they do? They watch it again. 
So, of course, there's a tablet station that came out now with a television where you can get 25 little screens and watch all of them changing. <laughs> now, of course, that's going to take away from me sensing spirituality because I'm just watching things changing. But that's not what I'm doing most of the time because when I'm doing that, I'm also checking my email. I'm constantly checking my email. It doesn't matter. I don't talk to actual people, but I keep checking my email because I might get an email. People get up in the middle of the night, go to the bathroom, they check their email. I an email, you know what I mean? People who I wouldn't talk to if they were standing right in front of me, I want to check to see if I got an email from them. You know what I mean? Emails are really and I'm constantly checking my email, you know? So that's nice. But most of the time, I'm not even doing that. I'm just talking on my cell phone. Right? Everybody has a cell phone today. Everyone's talking on their cell phone constantly. Constantly. I went out to a restaurant with my wife. I saw a table with two people. Each one was talking to somebody else on their cell phone. You know? I couldn't get the waitress because she was talking on her cell phone. You know? I tried to get her number. I was going to call her. Hi, you stop in over here, too. You know? People are constantly on their cell phones. And it's getting worse. They're getting better. They're getting smaller. They're more efficient. You know? Everybody's got a cell phone. You know? It's getting more and more. You know? So anyway, this guy's walking down the street. They, they tell the story. I don't know if it's true, but... This guy is talking like this. You know, okay, Bob, how's it going? Yeah, I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, why don't we get together, Bob? So what are you doing? Is you out of your mind? You talking to your hand? Says, what do you mean? He says, you don't have a phone. He says, well, I have a phone. He says, this is the latest. I have in my pinky the speaking device. I have the hearing device put into my thumb. The keypad is put just under my skin here so I can do it. The battery's in the back of my hand. I never have to be without my phone. I can always use it. He says, well, it's very good. I walk three blocks down, and I see somebody just talking to himself. I don't know, Harry. Uh, what about IBM? Is IBM looking good? I don't know. I have some Microsoft. Should I get some more shares? I said, what, are you out of your mind? Talking to yourself? I said, what do you mean? This is the other guy at least was talking to his hand. Talking to your hand? That's six months old. I put the hearing device in my ear. It's implanted. I have a speaking device put into my larynx. I've got the battery in the back of my neck, and I just have to fake the number. I said, oh, that's incredible. Walking another three blocks, I see a guy bent over and painting. Ah! Ah! I said, mister, are you okay? He said, yeah, I'm getting a fax. <laughs> anyway, is it? too much stuff is happening. You know, nobody cooks anymore. The microwave is always keeping. People always juggling their car keys. They gotta go someplace. Where are we gonna go? Just go someplace. Get in the car. The music, but I'm not listening to the music because I got my earphones on, listening to my to my Walkman at the same time. By this man, you know, and the phone's ringing. See people driving, boy, it's amazing, and they're going back and forth on the road, you know. And all this noise is taking place. All this stuff is happening. It's just absolutely horrible, you know. And now I don't know why I don't sing spirituality. So we say, okay, let's let's try. Turn off the TV. Click. Turn off the computer. Click. Turn off your phone. Click. Don't drive anywhere, click. Turn off the microwave, no cooking, click. No shopping. Is it? Click, click, click. Turn off everything. <coughs> oh, it's quiet. Yes, now it's quiet. Now maybe you have the possibility of hearing Kedusha. But you have to do other stuff. Now you have to get ready for Shabbos, and you put stuff in a mind frame, and you have to a proper meal, and you have to sing, and you have to talk, and you have to have people, and you have to interact, and you have to create something. You have to focus in. You filter out the background noise and you filter in on something. But that's the main purpose of Shabbos. The mitzvah say there's this wave of holiness that fills the world. Figure out how to tap into it. Kosher. Why do we eat kosher? So we never eat kosher because of health. Kosher has nothing to do with health. Anyone who has ever eaten in a really kosher restaurant sees it has absolutely nothing. <laughs> it doesn't even meet basic, basic uh, health standards. You know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, forget it. Health. Let's go to health. Right? 
The Torah tells you, it's the Torah, you don't even need the only thing fancy. The Torah says, if you eat this diet, then your heart will be more open and accepting to ideas of spirituality. If you don't, then your heart will be closed. You will seal yourself off from spirituality. It's a spiritually sensitive diet. That's why we eat kosher. And so it is with every single mitzvah. Now, having said that, there's another step to take. And that is, as I work on each mitzvah, each mitzvah has its own particular purpose. But it's supposed to be able to work together to create one holistic whole. In other words, what do I mean? Um, if you want to learn how to play the piano, right? So you know, you have to start by learning the keys. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, do, re, mi, fa, so. That's not music. But you have to learn them because otherwise you can't have any music. Once you have all of them, then you can move them around and do something. When you know the notes to sing, you can sing those anything. But first you need the notes. You need the keys. Without them, you're not going to get anywhere. I don't care how great a musician you are, you have to start off by learning what sounds they make and how to use them. And if I don't, if I don't start off with the, with the basic steps, I'm not going to move on, but I need the basic steps. But the goal's not the basic steps, right? Okay, I've got eight daughters. One of the great thrills uh, of having girls is you get to pay for ballet lessons. Right. I was one of six boys. None of us took ballet. <laughs> we, uh, my daughters all go for ballet. I don't think you'll be able to see this. This is some of the important things I've learned. Um, they come back and they put their feet like this. Those of you who can't see, I've just put one foot to the other on a right angle. And I said, well, that's not very impressive. I saw a Varishnikov pirouette 30 times. That's not impressive. My wife says, patience, patience. So after a long time of doing this, eventually they learn how to actually pick up their arms. It's also very exciting. So they start bending their knees. And it gets better and better from there. They bend their knees, they pick up their arms. So I said, well, that's not too exciting. She says, of course not. These are the individual moves. You have to learn each move, and once you get down all the moves, then you can weave them together into a ballet. The purpose is not the, the individual moves. It's when... You get all these moves and you put them together. When you have all the notes, you put them together. Right? People may not be able to relate to either one of those two, but there was a documentary <laughs> that came out about 20 years ago called The Karate Kid. <laughs> and, of course, one of the more dramatic scenes is he wants to learn karate. So the guy says, okay, paint the fence, paint the fence, paint the fence, right? Both sides, paint the fence, paint the fence. Then we're going to sand the deck, sand the deck, and then wax on, wax off, right? So at the end of three days of this, he says, you haven't told me anything. So he says, Show me, paint the fence. Show me, wax off. I don't know what you're talking about. So he starts to attack him. And instinctively, yaha, yaha, that's amazing. Right? So I said to a guy who's a black belt in karate, I said, was there anything too bad? He says, of course. He says, most people who think they're going to learn karate, you know, they're going to put on their pajamas, they go, yah, just forget it. got to go boom, and then I give it the floor. He said, most of karate is practicing the same move over and over again until it becomes second second knowledge to you, becomes instinctual to you. And then you have to learn how to use them all together. Right? And he says to me, it's like Judaism. I said, oh yeah. He says, yeah. He says, people want to pray with inspiration. So what do they do? So they open up a book, and they wait for the ray of light to shine on them. Ah! It's not going to work that way. First you have to figure out what the words mean. Then you have to figure out how to say them. Then you have to figure out what to, you know, how, to, how to make all the moves. And once you get it all down, and you know what you're doing, then you can start to dominate. 
But that's only part of it. Once you learn how to dive, you learn how to keep shot, you learn how to do this. You're getting all the different parts. When you put that all together, you're developing a spiritually sensitive existence. But without that, you're not going to get there. A person has to be able to develop himself to the point that he's spiritually sensitive. And every mitzvah is not supposed to be a mitzvah in itself. Every mitzvah is a step in a ballet. It's a note in a symphony. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a one move in karate. You know? Each thing that you pick up is part of a total system. When you get all of it together, then you're living a life that's a work of art. And this is the tragedy. The tragedy uh, is that there are people who learn to do mitzvahs and don't understand that they're part and parcel of what I need to be able to get myself to develop this relationship with God and get the spiritual pleasure we're talking about. People say, I want this spiritual pleasure, but I, you know, I don't want to work at it. Well, that's great, but these are the same people who don't know how to make a marriage work. Because you're not going to just, you know, you know, people fall in love. Oh, I fall in love, and you know, and but then they fall out of love two weeks later. You know what I mean? I fell in love, I fell out of love. Then there was never love in the first place. Remember when I got engaged? So the old man in the shul, you know, if you ever go to shul, there's always an old man in the shul. He's the one who walks around saying, Why are the kids coming to the kiddish? How many kids are here? Why are the kids down there? This is what the old man in the shul said. So that's his job. So he sees me and says, Hey, kid, you got engaged? I said, Yeah. Did you get married? I said, Yeah. He says, Why? I said, I'm in love. He says, Eh, you don't know anything about love. Okay. And I won't be from the kiddish, all right? <laughs> I'm going, you know. He says, he says to me, Tell me in ten years about love. Tell me when, when the kid is sick at night and you tell your wife, I'm going to go and get the kid. You sleep. Tell me when you guys are after scrimp and save and you have trouble paying your bills and, and who offers to go without what they want. Then you talk about love. And it was so true. It was so true. You, you realize that as the years go by, it's, it's, it's the giving and the sharing and the caring that build that love. I want to have a relationship with God. I'm folding my arms and saying, go ahead, God, shower me with goodness. Says, no, no, it doesn't work that way, sweetheart. This is a relationship we both have to put in. When we put in with the mitzvahs, when we do things, besides the fact that it allows us an immediacy of being able to tap into certain power, besides the fact that, that it's, it's, you know, uh, working together to be able to build a hole, and working together to build all these different steps and all these different things, the mitzvahs are the means that allow me to be able to establish this relationship with God, and then ultimately be able to take advantage of the tremendous pleasure that comes from having that relationship. That's the goal. Yes, sir. So what about for those people who all day, they're connected with God on, on an emotional level, and everything they do is God, God, God for God, and they pray before the meal, just, it's all, it's all uh, improvising. You know I mean? So what about, what about for them? I mean, they're, they're perfectly content with their relationship with God. If they adopt these mitzvahs and start performing these mitzvahs, then I don't think they see it as like, oh, all the more better. I think they see it as this is distracting from my relationship. This is disrupting my relationship that I've had so far. Right, that's because, you see, these are the same people who on their wife, on their wife's birthday, will bring her something that they want. They don't care about her. They care about themselves. You see? So there's certain people who say, oh, I'll serve God how I want. And God said, this is what I want you to do. And we say, I don't care what you want, God. I'll serve you how I want. Because that's more meaningful to me. So, okay, I know people who have marriages like that. They don't last too long. You see? 
Because in a relationship, the key is to try to understand what the other person wants from me, as opposed to me wanting to do what I want. You think? And that's that's that becomes part of the problem. Uh, I, I do marriage counseling, but I don't go into it. In any event, this is some of the insight. How do we do this? Okay, this is nice theory. How do we do this? Um, on Sunday. Or maybe it's Tuesday. I don't know. We meet here Sunday, Tuesday at this time slot. Uh, we're going to deal with one specific mitzvah and analyze it and see how it works. And uh, we're going to use that as a, a basis to use that to understand all the other mitzvahs and then see how we can start making this connection in our own life. Oh, because it, just like when you get married, there are obligations. There are obligations, because if there are no obligations, there's, there's no potential for real life. I mean, you have to come out of not working. I want to know my wife. Not that she thinks she might be there, she might not be there, etc. I want to know that she feels an obligation that she's going to be there for me. And if she's not there for me, then, then I can't count on her. I can't love her. Yeah. God did the same thing. For me, I'm fine. If you don't feel a sense of obligation, we're not in this to see it. For real. We're not going to be serious. Perfect. 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 Perfect.